Uh, Lord Jesus, we give you thanks for this day and for the opportunity to look into your word uh, as it speaks to us. And so, Holy Spirit, come and visit us today. Uh, Speak clearly uh, to our hearts that they might be changed and be hearts after you. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Last week, of course, what happened is I knew it would. Someone came up and asked a very good question after class. uh, And that was, when I was talking about the law, the question was, uh, is what you're talking about Um, is what you're talking about uh, the first use of the law? Now let me go ahead and define that. Uh, First use for our purposes today will be, um, that is the conviction of sin. You use the law to convict somebody, right? Uh, Love God with everything that you have in your life and your neighbor as yourself. Conviction, Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy, Lord have mercy, right? Okay, that's first use. Second use uh, is sort of a civil use. Uh, crosswalks, uh, the little plugs that you put in electrical sockets so your children don't put your car keys in there, um, go to school, um, speed limits, things like that, and then uh, what is often called third use, uh, which uh, I don't believe in, uh, well, I don't believe in its effectiveness, I should say that, is that is the use of the law to uh, encourage and produce righteousness in the life of the believer. Right. So if you are struggling uh, in uh, life, uh, what you need is law in order to help get your act together to help clean it up. Okay, so that would be third use. Now, um, what I was talking about primarily uh, was first and second, but what I want to say is that um, yes and no to the question that was asked about what use, uh, whether I was talking about first use or not, because the law's function is twofold. Uh, that is, it's civil use and it's used to convict sin, but its uses by humans uh, are often threefold. And one of the things that, um, that happens is that you think that you're using the law in its first or second use, and it quickly slides into third. Okay? And, and sometimes you're not even conscious of it, because the default position of our hearts is to go to the third use. Right. Um, if, if somebody is doing something that you don't want them to do, uh, our answer normally is just to turn up the volume on the law, right? just to keep reminding them over and over again. Now, no child is going to end up on the psychiatrist's couch when they're 40 years old because you put those little hooks on the cabinets uh, to keep them from getting at the Ajax. Um, or they're not going to end up on the psychiat- psychiatrist's couch either because you made them go to school. Um, however... Uh, if uh, behind going to school and telling them to go to school is that thing of if you miss a day of school, you won't get into college, right? I remember being told that, like, if you don't study for this quiz, you may not get into the college of your choice when you're in eighth grade. Uh, And, of course, if you're in the eighth grade now, uh, I'm sorry, parents, you're going to have to deal with this. That's not true. Um, uh, Although uh, you are meaning well, but uh, in that situation, the second use that civil use has slid into third. Uh, And uh, again, uh, most of the time people uh, will think that they're using it in its first and second use, uh, but really they're using it in its third, and they're looking for results uh, via uh, the use of the law. And no matter what um, use of the law, first or second or third, um, it's always received as attack. It's always received uh, as attack. Uh, one of uh, 
Lawrence and my friends, a wonderful married couple, and he is the nicest guy and husband in the world. He makes me look terrible. And uh, Jake is such a good guy. And we were over at the house one day, and Jake was being very sweet, and he was chopping up vegetables for dinner. And they had this wonderful granite countertop, and Jake, you could hear it, was chopping up carrots on the countertop without a cutting board. And his wife, Katie, said, Jake, stop chopping carrots on the countertop. And his immediate response was, I'm not. <laughs> I mean, even though clearly uh, he, he was. I mean, we can't help it. Even in something like that, which is not going to ruin their marriage, uh, something as simple as, please use a cutting board, is received as a tech. Speed limits. Right? Speed limits. I don't know about y'all, but I'm totally annoyed by, you know, I, I feel, uh, or, or, you know, in our family, the issue is parking spots, um, you know, where it says this is a tow-away zone. Uh, I believe that. And uh, I have, uh, <laughs> my mother is, who I'll, I'll, I'll throw my mom under the bus, uh, my mom doesn't think that that ought to apply to her. Like, for some reason, for some reason, uh, that's offensive to her that she ought not to be able to park there, right? Uh, or, and I don't know, there's always, and there's always, however, uh, we've all been in that boat. We've all been on the road when someone goes flying by us and speeding, and, and you're, you're ho- look at that nut, right? That's what we, look at that nut. I mean, but then next week, we're on the same road going as fast as that guy, and people are saying, look at that nut, but in our minds, we're thinking, I have an excuse, right? I, I'm, I'm late, and right now, uh, the law doesn't apply to me. So, uh, law is always received as attack. Uh, I mean, my child, when they try to open up the cabinets and they find uh, that there's a hook on them, or when they try to get in the electrics, they try to get into it, and then they get mad and frustrated that they're incapable of getting into those cabinets. And that's something very, very small, right? And it's almost as if, um, but really I mean it is as if, because there's a hook on it and there's a plug, there's something really great behind it. Right? It's almost an engraved invitation for them just to go for it and get in there. Uh, I used to have chapel um, at St. Helena's at one point for the school, and uh, the church, because it's a colonial church, is across the street from the offices and the school. So it's really difficult. You have to cross the street and go through the, the whole of the churchyard and bend around the front. And if it's raining, it's especially difficult. And we just had a big storm in Buford. And there were all these mud puddles. And the children were being so sweet and so nice and walking single file. And I said, just watch out for the puddles. Don't get in them. And it was like I'd hand out engraved invitations. And I mean, they were, they were like, woo! I mean, they, and the thought had actually never occurred to them until I said, don't get in to the puddle. Uh, well, it doesn't matter whether you're four years old or whether you're 40 or whether you're 80 years old. Uh, we all feel the same. Remember when your parents said, go clean your room? That made you want to burn your room to the ground. <laughs> and you would go in there and you'd sit on the bed and you'd say, I'm going to show them. I'm going to sit on this bed, right? And in spite of the fact that, you know what? You knew in your heart of hearts that your room needed to be cleaned. You said, I know that my room's a mess, and I know that it me- needs to be cleaned, but there's something about you telling me to clean my room that makes me want to burn it to the ground. Well, uh, that's how we receive the law, uh, regardless uh, of its use, and, and it does its work. I mean, I, when you know, someone tells me to, to clean up my office or clean my room, I, I'm overwhelmed by that. I look at it and I think, 
this isn't going to happen. And if it does happen, how long is it going to last until I have to clean it again? And I've got better things to do with my life than clean my office. Just note. Um, so, Well, uh, today uh, this feeds in, uh, that question goes in very well with uh, what we're going to talk about today, and that is New Year's resolutions and resolutions as they pertain to relationships. And I'm going to talk a lot about marriage, uh, and even if you're not married, uh, you're, this is still uh, apropos, and, and you're going to get it, and you'll be able to relate to it. And I use marriage uh, because that's often the illustration that Scripture uses uh, to describe the relationship between God and his church. Um, and uh, it is the closest thing on earth, uh, whether you're married or not, you can still see it, uh, it's the closest thing on earth that we have that shows uh, God's relationship to us and his love for us uh, when we are unlovely. It's very imperfect, <laughs> um, you know. My marriage is. Um, yours is probably great. Uh, and our, my marriage is great too. But uh, if anything, it, in its imperfection and in its difficulty, it shows God's love even more. Uh, it makes you realize uh, the power of his love uh, for us and to us. And oftentimes uh, we do make good resolutions, not New Year's resolutions, but I would hope that every single one of us who are married or, uh, or a child or are a parent uh, or are a friend, uh, that we would say, you know, I want to be a better husband. I want to be a better friend. Uh, I want to be uh, a better wife. I want to be a better child. I want to be a better parent. Um, and, and that's right for us uh, to do. And as Christians, uh, the more uh, we're in relationship with someone, the more often that we realize our, our inability to be the friend or the person that we want to be uh, and that we are failing uh, to live up to be. And, um, you know, in some ways, uh, my biggest problem is I am uh, not very good at keeping in touch with people. Uh, I'm very much, and most guys are like this, you don't have to talk for six months and you pick up the phone and you haven't missed a beat. Uh, girls are not like this. And, um, and so when Lauren and I were putting together our um, wedding list, our, our guest list, uh, she said, well, I said, well, where's the cutoff line? How do I decide who to invite, who not to invite? She says, anybody that you haven't spoken to in the last six months should be cut. And I was just like, you know, I just uh, forget it. Um, but uh, I have a friend uh, who is one of those guys who, when he calls, you see him on the caller ID, and you think, I don't want to answer this telephone. Because I know it's going to happen. I'm going to say hello, and he's going to say, oh, I see your phone's not broken. Right? Or, hey, I didn't think that you were still alive. And it's, you know, that really makes me want to stay on the phone with him forever. And, uh, and one, uh, one time, Lauren and I were in Charleston, and uh, we were walking down King Street, which is where all the uh, shopping is, and the phone goes off, and I look at it, and it's this guy. And I just said, I I'm just not going to do this right now. And I pushed ignore, and then all of a sudden, I hear someone yelling my name, and it's this guy holding his phone, looking at me on the other street corner, going, going like this. And I just... And it, <laughs> so I ran, and... Uh, <laughs> um, you, you know, you can't escape it, and we all have friends like that, uh, that remind us of our own inadequacies. And, you know, there is a very real part of me that wants to be better about that and, and wants to be able to communicate with people. Uh, but what I have found that even when I make the resolution, okay, this is what I'm going to do, it sometimes makes it worse. When I was in college, uh, it was really before uh, 
cell phones came into vogue, and so we had a payphone in the hallway of the dorm. And uh, Sunday night, we'd all line up and we'd call home. That was the thing to do. We'd call home. And uh, my mom is very big on this, and so I, I, uh, I would call, and she was, frankly, she was startled that I was calling every single week. And um, and then we'd get on the phone, and she'd say, "Well, well what's been going on?" And being a guy, I'd say, "Yeah, oh, you know, this, this, and that." And well, uh, how's college? It's it's good. You know, uh, anything? No, no, just kind of normal. Yeah. All right. Well, I love you. And it got to the point where um, I was calling her every single week, but it was making my mom crazy because after about two months of this, she finally called and says, "Andrew, I almost feel like it would be better if you didn't call every single week because it uh, it just." It's not working. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, her suggestion was, well, why don't we just try to talk once a month and we'll have a really good phone conversation. And I said, Mom, I, if this is the way it is every week, I, you know, this might be how it is once a month. Um, but uh, you see what I'm saying, that even uh, my uh, best foot effort, foot forward effort uh, to uh, be uh, a good son, um, I was going through the motions, and I was doing what I thought would make the relationship uh, better, uh, and yet uh, it wasn't. Why? Uh, because um, there was outward conformity to my resolution, but there was not inward change. Um, outwardly, I was doing, uh, I was fulfilling the letter of the law. I was a whitewashed sepulcher, right? Uh, it, it looked good, and, and people from the outside could say, that Andrew Pearson, he calls his mother every single week. What a dude. Why can't you be more like him? And, uh, and how wonderful he is. Uh, but really, inwardly, uh, what they found out is it was, my mom picked up on it very quickly, rotten bone. I was going through the motions, uh, but really, I was just calling to be able to say, I've checked it uh, off the list. Now, uh, that really uh, isn't uh, that big an issue, uh, but we all do this, and marriage is hard. Uh, marriage is really hard. And there was a lady in our congregation who used to get very upset with me when I would say things like that, um, and uh, she had been uh, through several marriages, and, um, and she just said, I, I wish that you would be more encouraging when you speak about marriage. And what she was really saying is that, that in order to get through marriage, what you need is encouragement. Just a lot of it, you need a lot of law. That was her impression of marriage, that if, as long as somebody was there to sort of simply encourage you along and sort of say, look, just, just charge through, uh, then everything would be all right. Instead of saying, look, this is hard, uh, and um, you know, the example I've used before is that you're a mess, you marry a mess, and down the road you have little messes. <laughs> and, um, and, and just simply acknowledging that and is, is huge uh, and is in fact an encouragement in spite of the fact that it is often received as discouragement. But we all have little things that we think, okay, in order to sort of get uh, our marriage uh, where uh, we would like it to be or our relationship where we'd like it to be, uh, we're going to do the following. And, um, uh, and in some, that's a good thing uh, in some ways, but one of the worst I ever heard was Lauren and I went to a rehearsal dinner. It was very strange because I love rehearsal dinners because it gives guys the opportunity to absolutely skewer uh, the groom. Uh, but the guy that was getting married was much more Christian than I am. And what he asked was that everybody stand up and give sort of little tidbits of advice uh, on marriage uh, that worked for them that may in fact work for this new couple. And, uh, and I said, well, this night's going to be terrible. Uh, but... Um, <laughs> Uh, and, uh, and I was a little bit discouraged, too, because, you know, automatically they've discouraged single people. And good for the single people who stopped and said, look, I'm not married, but uh, I love you and we're praying for you. And um, 
hooray for you. You know, I, I, so I was a little discouraged that, that they felt excluded, but uh, it really uh, hit an all-time high. It just went from bad to worse. When finally this guy stood up, and a um, young couple like Lauren and I, just uh, very handsome, very beautiful, and as the guy stood up and began to speak, the wife was just beaming at him. I mean, just looking up and just saying, I cannot wait to hear these words of wisdom that my husband is about to impart to this couple. Uh, we've, we've really got it together. And this is what the husband said. I have found it very helpful, and so has my lovely wife, uh, in our marriage that once a week, uh, and as he's starting to say this, she can see her smile turning to sort of questioning uh, to, oh my gosh. And uh, he says, once a week what we do is we sit down and we do sort of a debriefing on the week, and we talked about the ways in which uh, we have let the other person down and, uh, and how we might be able to improve upon that in the next week. And at this point, you can tell that that is the highlight of the week for him, but it is not the highlight of the week for her. <laughs> and in fact, just by looking at her, you can tell that she is a whole lot more insightful and is a whole lot more self-aware than he is. Because you know what happens in that session. He sits there and he actually does begin to enumerate those things. Honey, here's how uh, I feel like, here's some areas I feel like that you could work on uh, in our marriage. And you know what she's probably saying? You're great. You're really great. And, um, and I'm just so happy to be married uh, to you and... Um, and um, whatever it is that you think that I need to do in order to be a better wife uh, for you and uh, the Christian woman I'm called to be, uh, I'm willing to do it. But you know that it is awful, uh, the stuff that she's probably hearing from. So he sits down, and I'm just thinking, and I, Lord, may we all forget what this man just said. <laughs> uh, and I tried to by getting up and saying something really that fell on deaf ears, but... Um, uh, but the example of this couple, you know, I, I doubt that any of us are, are that uh, explicit or, or that specific about uh, what we do uh, from week to week. I can only imagine how that would go over in many of your homes. Um, you know, two would enter, one would leave, uh, or at least one would limp out. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it is simply by thinking that you can bring awareness to an issue, that you can, um, simply by saying, here's the issue, uh, that that ought to be enough to fix the situation. And it isn't. Uh, if anything, I would guess that what they talk about every single week is the same thing that they talk about every single week. It's probably the same uh, besetting uh, issue. And... Um, and we all have sins uh, that we, we struggle with. Uh, some of ours are, are more public uh, than others. Uh, some are easier to hide. Uh, but uh, what we find, I mean, St. Paul dealt with something. We don't know what it is, but he talked about the thorn in his side. Uh, and he really gets into that in Romans chapter 7 when he says, you know, the very thing that I'm painfully aware of in my life that I know that needs to change, I find myself incapable about doing anything about. And in fact, he goes on to say, Thank, who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Therefore, there is now no condemnation, no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so in spite of the fact that he continues to struggle with it, which is an indication that he's a believer, like if you weren't, why would you struggle with it? You'd think, well, it sounds like your problem, right? And when you get married, that, that happens. You know, when you get married, the most trivial of things like meals uh, become very complicated. Um, um, 
You know what? Uh, you, might, uh, you might be one of those meat and three people that wants to eat at 6 o'clock every single night and um, you want a, a good square meal and uh, your spouse may um, be sort of uh, a reincarnation of a Parisian and wants to eat at 9 o'clock every night and wants something that's uh, small portions overpriced, normally with a Mediterranean theme. Um, uh, uh, you know, I mean, before when you're single, you know, you can eat what you want, when you want. Where, if you want... Uh, falafel at 12 o'clock at night and you live in a city that offers that, you can just go down and get falafel. Uh, when you're married, you're not getting falafel at midnight. <laughs> it's not going to happen. Um, it, yeah, uh, and all of a sudden, in, in any relationship, in any close relationship, forget if it's marriage, uh, you have uh, worlds colliding. Right? You have worlds colliding in which sometimes the most trivial of things become very complicated. Um, now, the big difference is that in marriage, where both parties uh, realize how sinful and how broken they are and how incapable they are of being the people that they want to be and even loving their spouse in the way that they're called to be, which is to love them as, um, as Jesus loves the church enough to lay their life down for them. But here's something that often is lost. When we say when Jesus laid his life down for the church, when Paul uses that as an example in Ephesians 5, we normally think of take a bullet for your spouse, Right? If, if, you know, to be able to, you would be willing to die for your spouse. But Paul's taking it a little bit deeper and saying, not just your physical life, but your, your life, yourself. You're willing to actually put aside all of your dreams, your ambitions, your wants, uh, in order to look out for the interest of the other person, Right? I mean, um, when the first time I heard that, I'd say, man, I, where's that bullet? You know, and St. Paul, uh, actually, yeah, well, I'll, I'll use that for another time. I won't say that now. But, um, but in God's relationship to us, uh, he loves us perfectly where we love our spouses imperfectly. Where both of us, both spouses are called to love the other. Uh, and lay our lives down for the other. Uh, we do that imperfectly. And every day that you're in a relationship with somebody, that becomes abundantly clear. And no matter how many resolutions uh, you are going to make, uh, the more resolutions you make, the more clear that that is going to be uh, about yourself, which again is not necessarily a bad thing. Um, it's not a bad thing. Uh, some of the words uh, that probably should be eradicated from all everybody's vocabulary, whether you're married or not, are phrases like, you never, you never fill in the blank, or you always, what do you mean I always? Well, this one time in 1998, you, right, uh, when, uh, when you start saying you never do this or you always do that, um, you are, um, you're setting yourself up for a real failure. Um, some, uh, we have a, another close friend who had been dating this total loser uh, for five years or so, and unfortunately, like a lot of people, she was at the age where she had dated this guy for so long that she was sort of like, you know, if I break up with him now, am I too old to, you know, what do I do? This is so scary, and so should I honestly settle for this guy? And, uh, and so her tact was, what I'm going to do is I'm going I'm to give him an ultimatum. Let me tell you, ultimatums never work. Uh, they never work. Uh, uh, oftentimes in marriage you'll hear uh, a, one spouse ask somebody uh, or say, I need you to promise me fill in the blank. Right? It would be like saying to St. Paul, St. Paul, whatever the thorn is in your side, promise me that you'll never struggle with it again. 
Promise me you'll never do that again. Now, what I'm talking about, I'm not talking about, uh, you know, first use type stuff like I'm coming in at, at 2 o'clock at night because I'm hitting the video poker machine at Billy's in English Village. Um, and, and Lauren's like, look, you need to not do this. Promise me that you're not going to be up till 2 in the morning down at Billy's. Uh, I can walk home. Uh, and... Um, and, uh, you know, uh, th that's one thing. Uh, but it's a total other thing to say, you know, to see someone you're in a relationship with, a friend, a spouse, a child, whoever, struggling with their sin, knowing that they're deeply convicted about it. And even though it's a huge, it's an issue for you. It's an issue for you. It's like going to an addict and asking them, just stop. Why can't you just stop? Promise me you'll never do this again. Well, um, that is simply going to drive them into despair and make them make a promise that they're simply not going to keep. Um, but uh, the difference is, is that with Jesus, uh, he does make a promise that he always keeps. Uh, his love for us is perfect in that uh, no matter what we do, uh, when we were uh, ungodly, uh, at just the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. While we were yet sinners, uh, he died for us. That is, when we treated God worse than we ever have, right? He'd given us the best thing that he could ever give himself, right? His son, uh, who was perfect love uh, to the world. Um, and uh, our response was, let's kill him, right? Uh, reasonable in a relationship to say, we're not going to be friends anymore. We're not going to be in a relationship anymore. And yet, God's response is, I'm going to love you even more. I'm actually going to love you more. When you, the, the less you love me, the more I'm actually going to love you. And that has the power to transform and change. Um, Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 1. And he's writing to the church in Corinth. And it's one of those situations where Paul says, look, I'm going to come and visit you. And the church is saying, okay, you know, see you when you get here. And there's sort of this thinking that Paul is never, ever going to show up. And so he's addressing that initially. But then the Holy Spirit intervenes, and he gets onto something much deeper. And this is what he says. Um, I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and have you send me on my way to Judea. Was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Do I make my plans according to the flesh, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? Surely as God is faithful... Our word to you has not been yes and no. Okay? But then all of a sudden, boom, the Holy Spirit intervenes. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Sylvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. Um, in Jesus Christ, it's always yes. It's all, isn't it nice to hear yes sometimes? Right when you uh, go out to dinner and um, you know it's hard to find good waiters and waitresses, uh, but if you ask for something that's not on the menu or, or something like that, and and they kind of have this look on their face and uh, and they say no problem, that insinuates what? It's a little bit of a problem, right? Uh, but in this instance, we're going to say that it's not a problem. And so it's just uh, hey, can I order something up? Yes, absolutely. Can you do this for me? Yes, uh, I can. Um, but uh, more often than not, uh, we get no. But even worse than no uh, is yes and no. 
Um, we've all experienced this in relationships. Uh, the husband comes home and says, honey, I would love to go fishing uh, this weekend with the guys. Is that okay? And uh, the wife says, uh, oh, that would be absolutely fine. Um, but remember, we still need to clean out the garage. Is that yes? No. <laughs> uh, it's yes and no. Or, you know, uh, honey, uh, we... Um, you know, there are these uh, shoes uh, that are on sale, and I really, really, really want them. Um, and, uh, you know, I think I can get a pretty good deal on them. Would that be okay? Oh, sure, absolutely go for it. Just remember that, um, that our taxes are due this month uh, for Jefferson County. Um, is that yes? No. Uh, it's yes and no. And often in life and relationships, our yeses are always qualified are always qualified. And um, the thing is, is that if you get a yes and a no, that's really uh, a no. Right? It's not yes. Uh, but in Jesus Christ, it's always yes. His promises are always yes. Now, the big fear is, is that people say, well, if you do this, um, then the person who is saying yes is going to get taken advantage of. Uh, the other person, the other party, is going to run roughshod over them and take advantage of them because their answer is yes. And yet what we find in the scriptures, in our relationship with the Lord, is that doesn't happen. We can look back at Romans chapter 7. When Paul is sinning, he's not saying, hey, I'm struggling with this sin, but it looks like I get a free pass uh, from Jesus because his promises are always yes and amen in him, and, uh, and he's going to forgive me, and so uh, I'm just going to, uh, to continue doing it. But in fact, it's God's love, not, not God's law, it's God's love that actually makes him change and want to be different. It's actually that that says, how can somebody love me in this way in my condition? In my condition. Uh, one of the most powerful stories that I've heard about this was we have an assistant at, uh, I can't say that anymore, we had an assistant at St. Helena's um, who was just a saint. He was a wonderful man, wonderful wife, five kids. Um, when he became the assistant, he came in and they had like five kids and what, like, eight years or something. I mean, they're just like, all oh, cramming it. And he came as the associate for family ministries and Frank introduced him mistakenly as the associate for family planning. <laughs> and um, and uh, just wonderful, down to earth. I mean, go to bat for you guy. And I've really, very rarely ever seen him mad. Um, just sweet guy. And one morning things got the best of him and as he's getting ready to go into work, uh, his wife, under a lot, they, they at one point were homeschooling all of their children. Uh, God bless her. So a little bit of stress in the house and um, not a lot of boundaries. And, um, and uh, uh, he had had it and just kind of lashed out at everyone from the youngest to the oldest to the wife and just was just, I mean, the kids were all like, whoa, where'd this guy come from? You know, some of them are crying. And he just stormed out of the house, slammed the door, got in the car and went to work. And he uh, sat there at work and was wondering how long he could stay at work before he had to go home. And um, he was ready for it. He was ready. He was sort of like the prodigal son uh, who had this speech prepared in his mind of uh, apologizing. And, um, as he, uh, and so he finally drove himself home uh, ready to receive what he deserved, which was what? To let, I mean, his wife had every right to let him have it. And the kids had every right to say, get lost. I'm just not going to talk to you right now. And uh, he walked in through the front door where he was met by his wife and five children. Uh, and without saying anything, they led him to the living room and they took off his shoes and socks and all of them washed his feet. 
do you think um, that he feels now licensed <laughs> uh, just to do that every morning? Uh, no, it in fact changed him. Uh, it liberated him in a way that it made him, he, he knew in his heart of hearts as he walked through that door, I definitely never want to do that again. I never want to treat my family that way. But multiply that times the largest exponent in the world and that was his feeling after he got what he didn't deserve, which was to have his feet washed uh, by people who had every right uh, to let him have it. And that is how God treats us. Uh, that when we come to him and our hearts are broken um, and we are ready to have the law thrown at us, and we deserve it. We deserve to, to have it with both barrels wide open, uh, but what he gives us is grace. And the crazy thing is, is it actually doesn't give us license. It, in a weird way, convicts us even more. And the love that we experience uh, through him uh, is, is, is grown and is deepened uh, at a, a rate that uh, is not uh, to be believed. And, uh, and this is hard in relationships because we're all imperfect. Um, but uh, when it comes to marriage and other relationships, uh, that we would um, be able to discern uh, when uh, to drop the law and let, it, let the law do its work in its first and second use where it needs to be done. Uh, if Mark had come in the house whistling zippity-doo-dah, oh, I just used his name, that's fine. Uh, if, if, uh, if he had come into the house uh, zippity-doo-dah, uh, then uh, it would be perfectly right and good for, uh, for his wife to say, wait a minute. We, we need to talk, um, but, uh, but they showed him uh, grace when he deserved judgment, um, and, uh, and that, uh, that's a real miracle. Uh, that is counterintuitive, and only the gospel can bring something uh, like that about, and not sitting down with your friend or your spouse every week and reminding them uh, of how they have let you down, uh, but in fact, uh, I don't need someone to sit me down every week and tell me that. I know. I already know. Um, and, uh, and I do need the law in my life, uh, but uh, I feel like um, there's no shortage of that. Uh, but when I'm down and I'm crushed, uh, I need the only thing that uh, is going to transform me and make me more into the person that I long to be, and that's the gospel. Questions? Okay, I got a little water up here to wash feet. Um, <laughs> just a little bit. Um, Next week, um, I, I'm, it's sort of a last-minute one-off thing. Um, I'm going to do uh, Fallen from Grace, uh, the Gospel in uh, Tennessee Williams and Julian Fellows. Um, we're going to talk about Downton Abbey a little bit, uh, which comes on tonight. Uh, if you have Netflix, you can watch it online, actually, so you don't even need Netflix. Um, and uh, you don't have to read Tennessee Williams or Julian Fellows uh, to, um, to understand what I'm going to be talking about, um, but just a fun little class. So, Okay. Let's pray. Uh, Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we pray that uh, when convicted under the law, that we would turn uh, to you uh, for grace. Lord, that we would not try to find strength in and of ourselves to right ourselves because, Lord, we will only be left in despair and cry out, who will rescue me from this body of death? But we thank you that everything is yes and yes in you. And Lord, uh, by that, yes, uh, we are transformed. Uh, and Lord, thereby enabled uh, through the power of your Holy Spirit, uh, we pray to say yes to those around us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.